Uh, well, thank you so much, Katie, for leading that, and Mike and Margaret, thank you so much. And um, man, it's good to see you guys here, and it's fun to hear the uh, shakers going on. Uh, it's better than uh, when I, I grew up in Barbados, okay? Some of you know that. Um, and there was a lot of rhythm, natural rhythm in Barbados. There's not quite as much natural rhythm in the church I came back to here. Uh, not this church, but the church I went to in Lancaster. And um, there was members of our church who decided they should get tambourines and start playing them. But it's one thing to have a shaker off rhythm. It's another thing to have a tambourine off rhythm. I don't know if you ever feel that, but that takes over the room, and that's kind of that's awkward. So this was fun. This was fun. And it's good to see you kids here. So we're going to do something fun to start this morning. I'm going to invite you to it, and I hope you'll have fun with me on this one. Okay? So I'd like you to, um, this is going to be casual, interactive deal where I'm even going to invite you to stand up if you're comfortable doing that. So we're going to, going to be pretty chill to start this morning. Um, we're going to play a version of Pictionary real quick, okay? But I'm going to need your help if you're willing to play along. Um, and if you can identify around you um, either the best or worst drawer in your row or around your family group or your friend group, and if you're willing, I'd love to have you participate in this. And I'd, I'd like to have, it's more fun if you're the worst person who can draw, to be honest. But that's fine if you think you, you, you want to draw something. And I want you to get in your mind. So try to identify around you. Like, am I, first of all, am I going to participate? You have to answer that question, okay? If you're willing to, if you're willing to, um, I'd love to have you get something in your mind that you want to try to draw quickly for the people around you. Yeah, you can think of either something that I enjoy, something that I don't enjoy, something I experienced recently, something in my home, whatever it might be, okay? So identify somebody around you now in groups of like three, four, five, even if there's someone in front of you who looks like they don't want to participate, tap them on the shoulder, invite them to look at your drawing, all right? So find a, a drawer, all right? I'll give you five seconds, identify a drawer, five, four, three, two, one, there we go, thank you. All right, you have that person? We have a connection card around you. There's also pens in the chair around you. Kids, you have this sermon notes thing. You can use a space on here to draw, all right? So now that I've totally lost the room, that's great. I love it. Um, I'm going to give you a second to draw that thing in your mind. I'm going to give you a second to draw that thing in your mind, okay? And we're gonna have, you're going to have 20 seconds to draw it. And then the people around you get a chance to identify it. Okay, are we ready? You guys ready? You got 20 seconds. One, two, three. Here we go. 20. 15. 10. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay. All right. Some of you are cheating right now. You're still drawing. That's illegal. You're in church. Pull it together. All right. Good. Hey, some of you thought you won because you got it right away. Like, you're ready to, like, what do I get? Because I got it right away. That's great. That's great. Okay. Did you get it? Did some of you get it? Yeah? Did some of you not get it? Some of you not get it? Did anyone not get it? Yeah? Is there any debate around what happened there? Was there anyone who's like, what were you drawing? Like, there's no way that's that. You have that? All right. Good, good, good. I'd love to see some, hold up some of your pictures. What is that? It's a dog? Sure it is. It looks like a great dog. Guitar? All right. Stephen, that's, or Ben, I, that's, that's awesome. That's uh, like a blizzard or something, yeah, that is. 
Those white pieces of paper look awesome. I can't see it from here. What is it? What is it? Can you tell me right behind Mr. Lap there? A dinosaur. Oh, that's so awesome. Thank you for drawing that. I see you there, Chad, but I'm not sure I can see that thing, buddy. Hey. All right. You're allowed to dream in church. You're allowed to dream. That's all right. So let me tell you, I can't see it all the way back there, but what do you got? All the way back there. What do you got? Spider? Woo! I prefer the Phillies winning the World Series to your spider. I'll be honest. But that's good. So let me tell you, let me tell you about my friend in, um, in Dallas. We would sometimes go together as families and we'd play Pictionary, which is not my favorite game in the world. So he, his name was Bob, and he would get, like, let's say the, the card says penguin. Here's what Bob would draw. The end. I know you're waiting for more. There's no more. And then what Bob would do, I don't know if you've ever been with someone like this, then he would just take his pen and he would stare at us and be like, and then hit it with his pen over and over again. I'm like, draw something more, but this is all that he would draw. And then he'd look at it like, what's wrong with you? It's clearly a penguin. Can't you tell that's a penguin? At which point, like, we're like, like, hitting it with your pen doesn't help it. So then he would like, fine, like, I'll set it aside. And, you know, the pressure of the sand is, whatever, falling in the little hourglass thing. And so he's like, fine. So he's going to draw something new. So here's what Bob draws. I'm like, Bob, it's the same. And then, like, this isn't helping me, Bob. This is not helping me at all, right? I mean, you ever have anyone like that? That's kind of the way it was for me when I played Pictionary. I'm not great at drawing. But this was Bob's penguin, and this is the way that it went. And I couldn't wait, as you can imagine. I could not wait to hear that we were going over to play Pictionary with Bob. It was so awesome. In fact, I'm still scarred because we had a Super Bowl party that we were invited to, and Bob and his family decided to turn it off at halftime and play Pictionary. Anyhow, be that as it may. So here's, here's the thing. I'm clearly not still bitter about that moment in my life. Just happened to be. Anyway, all right, I'm going to move on. Here's, here's what I think. Thank, number one, thank you for playing along, and thank you for drawing what you did. I hope that was fun for you. Um, what I think we all tend to do um, with things that are in our minds, um, I'll put it this way. I think we're constantly trying to make sense of the world around us. Um, And so when we think about something, whether it's a guitar or a dinosaur or the Phillies winning the World Series or even a spider, if we're so bold as to do that, or your dog, whatever whatever we're trying to make sense of, we'd love to, like, draw it out. Like, here's the plan to get there. And perhaps the people around us can see that we're doing this, but we sometimes struggle to put definition to the things that are really important to us. So, like, for example, if I were to ask you to draw love, what could you draw? If I were to ask you to draw truth, what would you draw? If I were to ask you to draw the idea of respect or honor or dignity, what would you draw? And, of course, it's really difficult to draw these abstract ideas, but what I think we all do is we try to take these ideas that we all actually want, and we try to create our own reality around it. We try to draw them into our lives. And so if I want love, if I want to make love concrete, I'm going to get into a dating relationship or into a marriage, and that relationship will be like my version of drawing it. I will take this idea, and I will try to create something that looks like that, which works until the person breaks up with me. If I want respect, I might try to draw myself and draw my future as someone who shows up to work all the time. I'm consistent. I'm taking this idea. I want to create a world in which I'm respected 
and honored, and I'll create it, I'll draw it by going to work all the time and being consistent and faithful with that. And that works. I get that honor and consistency and dependability until I get laid off or the company goes down. And then I have to tell people I'm unemployed. And now the thing that I drew doesn't make sense anymore. And people look at my life and the things that I want to to bring to reality are hard to bring to reality. Even some of us may be in our relationship with God. How do we define that? How do we create that? How do we understand that? And some of us can think if we're faithful in church attendance in our in our you know personal habits, if we do all the right things, somehow God will will love us and will love God and it'll be kind of happily ever after. And then people we love die and people aren't healed and things happen that are really hard and sometimes abusive and we question where is God in the middle of all of that and our picture that we were drawing of God and our relationship with him, it gets muddy and it's hard to understand and hard to interpret. I think we all try to create reality with what we have around us. And, and here's what I learned. Like, let me go back to my friend Bob who draws random circles and calls them penguins. And at the end when the timer is flipped and it's over and he finally looks at us and is like, what's wrong with you? That was a penguin. And I'll argue with him like, Bob, that wasn't a penguin. That was a bad circle, two of them. Well, here's the thing, like, whoever draws it has authority over it. Whoever created it has authority to define it. Even if, in our version of drawing, it's a bad drawing, I don't really get a chance to argue with Bob and say, that wasn't a penguin, that was a bad circle. Like, no, it was what he said it was because he was the creator of it. As you're sitting there drawing your drawing just now, if there are people around you as you're starting to draw and they're starting to say, that's a pumpkin, you know, that's a, that's a ladder, that's a fire truck or whatever, and you're like, it is not that yet, just wait, I'm going to keep drawing it because you know that you are the one, if you're the drawer, you're the creator of it. You get to define what is reality. You get to define truth for the people around you. I'll put it this way, that whoever created it calls it. No, no, no. It's not that, it's this. It's not that, it's this. It's not this, it's that. I created it, I'm creating it, and I'm going to call it what it is. This idea that the creator gets to call it is such an important idea because what I can often do, and maybe you can be in the same situation too, I can try to create a version of my own life. I can try to take love and respect and honor, even identity, authority and truth, and I can draw my own future. I can create a world in which I am the one who creates my version of truth and love and honor and identity and dignity and faithfulness to God. But if God is the one who has created, if God is the one who has created it all, not unlike how Ben began the worship set this morning, then there's something about God as creator that I need to step back to and kind of step into and say, what does it mean if God created everything? How does his authority over everything impact my own version of my identity, my value, my confidence in Christ? How does him as creator get to call what I see as my world's reality? Now, to make this make even more sense, I want to take you to a passage of scripture that Paul wrote, who was an early follower of Jesus. Because he was trying to define reality for the early church as they were trying to figure out what is true and right. This early church was dealing with different kinds of teachings. And they were trying to get a sense of, well, what is, what is the right kind of teaching? What is true? All right? What is true in a world of competing ideas? 
And what Paul does in the verses that we have in front of us is he gives us an amazing gift that reminds us of one of the things that Jesus really does. And this is what our series is really about, what Jesus really does. And I want to give you part two of this nine-part series today, that Jesus actually really does something. Jesus is not just a, a good luck charm or, a, or an image or an icon or a brand or, or a vibe or anything, or a cultural icon. Jesus actually really does something. All right, and this is what Paul is writing to this early church in Colossians. So, if you have in Colossae, so if you have a, a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to the the New Testament book of Colossians, chapter one, is where we're going to be this morning. And there's a Bible in the the chair near you, near where you got that connection card or that communication card. Um, and we'd love to have you take that Bible home if you don't own one. But Colossians chapter one is where we're going to be just for a few minutes this morning, beginning in verse fifteen. This is a really powerful. Um, part of scripture. If you haven't encountered it before, there's more depth here than I have time to really get into. Um, so I feel a little bit bad about that, but uh, I hope that the time we spend in it will be really helpful for you as well. So I'm just going to read these verses and come back and comment on them kind of, uh, you know, verse by verse. Verse 15, Paul is writing, he says this, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation." For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Okay, really, really powerful verse, really key um, section of early church theology and really strong development of Christian doctrine early in the church we see here. Let's look at verse 15. Really important idea to begin. Paul writes the Son, and in that case he means Jesus as the Son of God. So we can read that to be Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Really key idea. It's, it's family worship here, by the way, this morning, right? So speaking to families for a minute, and all of you have had um, a mom or dad in your life, and I know your stories are all different, but if you've, if you've ever seen kids, and, and I, this has happened for us and, and maybe for you too, but um, as parents, sometimes you see your kids, and especially when ours were younger, and our kid would do something, and, and Jen might look over at me, and without even like using words, I would know what she means is, that's on you. Like, that's you, isn't it? You would have done that when you were little, wouldn't you? That's like Christian karma coming back to get us, right? Like, that's you. And if you've ever been married or had a situation like that, you can relate to that. Like, all of a sudden, our kids do things sometimes that are not unlike us. And you look at the kids and like, oh, we know where you came from. Some of your mannerisms or your tendencies are not unlike your dad or not unlike your mom. And in this way, this is what Paul is saying, like Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you've ever wanted to see God who is invisible, in this case, Paul is saying, here is the gift that the incarnation of God, when Christ took on flesh, has given to us. We can look at Jesus and see God, which is amazing. Some of us maybe grew up with that and we think, like, that's like breathing air, right? But think about this in the early church. This new idea is so big and it's foundational to understanding the next part of where we go. So the Son, Jesus, is the image. If you want to know God, look at Christ. He goes on, he's the firstborn over all creation. 
There was some early church discussion about what that means, by the way. There was a, a heresy around this and some proper teaching around this, and the early church wrestled with what that meant. Some people thought that God the Father created Jesus first and then created the rest of the world, which would have meant that there was a time when Jesus was not. And a guy named Arius, who's an early preacher, taught that. The early church met and discussed and talked through that and basically said, if you believe that, you're not believing what is Christian doctrine. That firstborn here doesn't mean firstborn in time, as if there was a time that Jesus was not. Firstborn is about priority, about position. That Jesus has the right, if you will, as the firstborn, only in the sense that he has all power and authority. But it does not mean, and this is very important for our understanding of God, it does not mean that there was a time that Jesus did not exist. Jesus, we believe as Christians, is a member of the Trinity, therefore is in eternal existence. There never was a time when Jesus was not. There was a time when he did not take on flesh, when he wasn't in that human form, but there never was a time when Jesus was not. And so he's in priority order, therefore, over all creation as an equal member of the Trinity and of the Godhead. And then he goes on. He says in verse 16, for in him, that is in Jesus, in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Let's just look at that verse here real quick. He talks about all things that were created. So check it out. He says, all things were created in him. He says that at the beginning, in him. And then at the end of the verse, he also says, all things were created through him and all things were created for him. Those are important little prepositions. I'm not going to spend time in English class here, but pay attention to the prepositions here. In him, so this is in a way like the um, the 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 grounding of creation is in Christ. Through him, he's like the means of creation. And for him, he's kind of the end goal or the purpose of creation. So the totality of that is pretty significant. That in him, through him, and for him, all things, all things. Well, what are the things? What are the things that were, were made? Look in the middle of that verse. All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, those are the things that were created. Now, that can seem, if we're honest, kind of far away and distant. I mean, who talks like that anymore, right? Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. But let me take what's far and removed and maybe try to bring it closer and more personal, okay? Thrones and powers, no one talks about thrones anymore, really, unless you're in England, maybe. Um, you know, thrones and powers and rulers, that can seem so far away. But I think for all of us, we all have, if you will, powers and authorities in our own hearts and minds. Has anyone ever, um, as a growing young adult, um, decided, you know what, um, I'm going to wear something that I know my parents, if they were here, wouldn't approve of? Don't raise your hand. Has anyone ever watched a movie later in life and been like, oh, I hear my parents in my voice, in my head, and I'm not sure they would approve of my choice of doing this. Has anyone ever moved on from a job in a way that you're like, oh, my parents wouldn't have liked the way I handled that. I need to be careful. If you've ever had those experiences of hearing parents in your head, this is an authority figure in your life. 
And what, God, what Paul is saying is that Christ is over all authorities, not just the people who rule in national governments or international affairs, but also the authorities that we listen to in our own heads. The authorities that drive and shape how we see ourselves and our world around us. And there's all kinds of authorities like that in your life and in mine. All kinds. When you look in the mirror, sometimes you look at yourself and you're like, if only you fill in the sentence. If only I would weigh a little bit less. If only I could be a little bit faster. If only I had that kind of smile. If only I had her kind of hair. It'd be weird on me. And you hear some things and there's an authority that you give sometimes and I give sometimes to what I think other people might want of a more perfect person. And we give people around us authority to judge us. And we hope that we meet their standards. That's an authority as well. Years ago, I met in my office with a guy who was struggling with some things here at, at church. And there was a conflict situation. It was very difficult. Um, after about 30 minutes, he finally um, just said it. He just came out with it. He was frustrated. He said, Tim, we sweep things under the rug around here. That's just what we do. It was interesting to hear that verbalized so clearly because I'm like, I know that's what you do. But I need to ask you the question, is that the right thing to do, or is that just what you do? See, that's an authority that was embedded in him from his own experiences, sometimes from his own parents. That's an authority. I would argue that that's a drawing of peace. When he takes his blank piece of paper and the Pictionary card comes up and says, interpersonal peace, what you draw is a carpet lifted up with stuff under it and put it back down again. But I don't get to create what God has already created. If Christ has already created a mechanism for interpersonal peace and relationships, if Christ speaks to that in the New Testament, then I have to submit my authority to his. And so I have to ask the question, just because I was raised that way, just because I'm used to that, does it mean that it's right? Because whoever creates it calls it. Right? Whoever creates it has the authority over it. And so we all live with authority that has been handed to us through our experience, through our parents, through our own choices. And sometimes it's in line with Christ. Sometimes it's in line with the teachings of Christ in the New Testament, and sometimes it isn't. And it is hard, it is hard, but it is essential to be able to step back for a minute from what I believe by default and think is just right, to ask, is this, is this true? Is this right? Is this what Christ might have me do? Do I know what God would want me to do in this situation? Or am I just carrying forward in business, in love, in faith, the way that my parents taught me, the way that my history has conditioned me, or the way my personality directs me? Because whoever created love gets to call what it looks like. Whoever created truth gets to draw what that is. Whoever created identity gets to define where your identity is. Not our peers, not even ourselves, and certainly not our parents. I don't know about you, but in my own family, uh, and I've learned this a lot about things that get passed down from families to families, and all of us, I think, have times of even um, the, the power of, of silence in families is amazing. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but silence is often a little um, container that carries values 
from family to family. The problem with silence is those values are never communicated. For example, if we're watching a movie as a family and a scene comes on that we didn't expect and aren't comfortable with our family watching, what we might do is fast forward it or stop the movie and say nothing about it. Except all to acknowledge in the room that was awkward. We would have preferred not to experience that. But we don't know what to say about it, and so we say nothing. But it communicates. That silence communicates. When mom and dad argue, and you see it as a kid, and you know there's not resolution, they're not talking for a minute, and they don't talk to you about it, that communicates. It's silence that's a compartment that carries values to you and to me. It says this is the way we handle conflict and struggle in our family. This moments of silence even that you encountered as a child, even as a young adult, are important moments to look back on and say, what have I been learning about truth, what is right and good in my own family? Because what Paul is saying here to this early church in Colossae is of all the things in this world that create truth, that create normality, that create love and life, even understanding of how I relate to God, Christ in him, through him, and for him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all rulers, thrones, powers, and authorities come under him. And so I don't get to just create and draw my own version of peace or my own version of love or my own version of identity. I have to be able to come under the creator who I can see. He's the one who created it, and therefore he gets to call it. He goes on in verse 17. He says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. A powerful, powerful idea here. Um, few of us are going to have the chance to do what William Shatner had the chance to do. He's 90 years old. He used to play Captain Kirk on Star Trek. Anyone ever watched Star Trek in here before? Thank you for the three of you who acknowledge that. That's good. So William Shatner, 90 years old last year, got to go to space, and from space he got to look down on our earth, and he encountered what's, what um, space psychologists, I never knew there was space psychologists, call the overview effect. And Shatner said, I had, did not expect what I experienced. He said, I went into a place of deep grief. He said, I was crying. He said, I couldn't believe what I saw. He said, it surprised me. But it didn't surprise the people who write about the overview effect because what you see, evidently, when you're looking at Earth in the context of the universe from a spaceship, is you see a small, incredibly frail sample of life in the context of death. And you realize, evidently, how fragile it is and how it's almost like an onion shell of protection around this little place of blue and hazel and whatever that you see but everything else is death. And it gives you an overview of where we live in light of the context of death all around us that you don't experience evidently until you're in, in space. And as I think about that, I think about this idea here that, that, that as Paul writes it in verse 17, that he is before all things and in him all things, all things hold together. Christ has this incredible picture and strength of the whole universe, all that we have, all of not only our fears and worries and dreams and hopes, but also the entire 
cosmos, and in him all things hold together. The strength and greatness of that blows me away when I think about what some people experience. And then he goes on and he applies this to the church, finally in verse 18. And he is the head, that is Christ, is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He's clear that the church should be directed by Christ, not me. Not my vision or your vision or my hopes or your hopes, but that we should all come under the headship of Christ. And there's the so that that's very clear. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. That's what Paul is trying to say to all of us and to the early church in Colossae especially. That of all the teaching you're going to get, may it come under who Christ is because since he created it all, put it this way again, whoever creates it, calls it. Whoever created it, calls it. Because he is the creator and sustainer of all of life, he gets to call what is right and true and good, not me. So let me put it this way and ask this question. What does Jesus really do? He creates. He helps create. And therefore, he has authority over it all. He helps to create, and therefore, consequently, he has authority over it all, even the authorities that we sometimes give undue space to in our own lives. And so I want to invite you to do another little exercise with me, if you're willing. This will just be in your own head this time, okay? But in your own head, I would invite you to, to draw out images in your mind right now of things that are most important to you, things that are most important to you. You might think about money, relationships, maybe intellect, your career, uh, reputation, maybe your own spirituality, maybe your own identity, beauty, your house, your children's future. If you're a child, you might be thinking about the toys that you have. You might be thinking about the, the balls in the backyard. You might be thinking about playing a sport or singing a song or some of the movies that are your favorite movies that you have. Think for a minute and just get a mental picture of the things around you that are most important to you and just kind of draw that quick in your mind. Because the question that I want to ask you around this is, is there anything and are there any things, if I put it this way, that you think, own, or dream about that might need to be adjusted? Are there any things that you think or that values or ideas that have been handed to you and you've just thought were right? Or anything that you own that you think, this is, this is mine. I mean, I get to do what I want with my stuff. Or anything you dream about about what your career might be, what your future hopes and dreams might be that really are in line with maybe my dreams? Is there anything that I need to think, rethink about what I, how I think, what I own, or what I dream about? Because I believe if Christ created it all, he has the authority to define your identity. He has the authority to define your identity, not what you think and not what people around you think. He does. He has the authority to define your identity. Christ has the authority over your job, whether you change it or don't change it. He has the authority over your future. He has the authority over your stuff. He has the authority on how we view my relationship with God, that I am and you are a creature made by God. He made you. And inasmuch as he made you, he then has authority over you and over me. 
And so as you think about the best version of love you can think of, the best version of faith you can think of, the best version of your own identity, I want to encourage you, friends, be careful what authority you give. Because whoever created it gets to call it. And when you look in the mirror, or when you hear your own voices, and when you struggle with some of the things in our past that are really, really difficult, and we hear messages that drive us into hard places, and you hear that you're not enough, you hear that God can't come to you, you hear that you need to be more, and then if only you lost some weight, and then if only you were more faithful, and if you hear these things, Christ created you. And he has the authority to call it. You are loved by him. And you are made by him. Regardless of the authority of people in your past or in your present. That you are a valued child of God. And that is true. No matter what anyone else will say. Because he created you. And therefore, he calls it. This is true. That I would love these people enough that in their own sin, I would send my son Christ to die for you. So friends, of all the authority that you give in your heart, please consider for a minute, are there any things that you think, even that you own, or even that you dream about, you might say, you know what, I need a minute on this one. I need a minute to consider what does this mean that Christ holds it all together because he created it all. Therefore, he calls it. And it's under him that we find truth, love, light, and hope in a way even to relate to God. So what does Jesus do? Far from being just an image or an icon or a brand or a cultural icon. Jesus created everything. He created you. And my hope is that you can see yourself and your world under his authority and find life and love in a relationship with him. That's what Jesus does. He creates and he calls it what it is. And he loves you deeply, no matter what. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word and the encouragement from Paul from this church back hundreds and hundreds of years ago now in Colossae that was struggling with what versions of truth they're going to listen to and hear. They're struggling with authority and what teaching is right and true and what teaching they shouldn't listen to. They struggled with knowing how to make sense of their world and drawing their own future versions of faith, of love and hope and dreams and kind of drawing it on their own accord, doing the best they can with what they have, drawing with the basis of their future based on their history and past and the best things that their parents taught them or that people have experienced. But Father, I thank you for this teaching here that reminds us our authority doesn't come from the best things that people have taught us. The authority for this entire world that we live in comes from Christ. Over all that he has created, he is therefore supreme. And so I pray that you would keep driving us and moving us to know Christ more, that we could find the fullness of life in him, that we can submit our own struggles, our own challenges to him and with help from people walk together in constant alignment with how Christ would have us understand truth and love, light, 
forgiveness, mercy, grace, service, compassion, even our own identities, our sense of ourselves in this world. So, Father, thank you for this teaching. I thank you for preserving it for us, and I pray that you would help us with mercy and grace to consider this question. If there's anything that we think, anything that we own, even anything that we dream about, it might need to be adjusted. We can come under your sovereign care and life for this place that we're in right now. Father, we love you. Thank you for the time together. In Jesus' name, amen.